Thank you for listening to this Waterstone message. Here at Waterstone, our mission is to advance God's kingdom to God's glory. Our current series is called Power and Weakness, a study in 2 Corinthians, where we look at how we experience Jesus' power and grace in our weakness. We hope this message encourages and challenges you, and we would love to see you at one of our services at 5.30 on Saturday evenings or 9 and 10.30 on Sunday morning. A reading from 2 Corinthians 12. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but again, God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. So question for you. What is your greatest weakness? Has anybody been at a, a job interview recently where they've gotten that question? It's been a while since I've, I've done any kind of an interview, but I feel like that question, what is your greatest weakness, is like one of the worst questions in an interview setting ever. Because if you think about it, how do you answer that? If you say, well, the, my greatest weakness is whatever, they may not hire you. Like you just may right there like, nope, that's not who we want. Or... If you don't come up with something, that's probably worse because then you look like an arrogant jerk who isn't self-aware enough to know what his weaknesses are. And so it's this, this hard challenge of how do you answer what your weaknesses are. And in fact, most uh, like interview coaches or places like monsters.com, what they will tell you is that you're supposed to disguise your weakness. And so you kind of couch your answer in a way that says whatever your weakness is, it's actually a strength. And so it might be, you know, my, my greatest weakness is I just care too much about my job and I work way too hard and I struggle a lot like leaving work at the end of the day, right? Like you have to come up with a way to make that weakness actually sound good. And the truth is, no matter who we are, if, if you, it doesn't matter if you're in a job interview or you're pursuing someone in a relationship or you're just talking to a stranger, each and every one of us feels this need to hide our weaknesses, to not let people know what we actually struggle with and what our weaknesses are. And uh, this week, I was kind of confronted with that uh, in that one of my weaknesses is, and this is kind of embarrassing to share with you, but one of my weaknesses is that I am terrible at anything to do with mechanics. I, a car, washing machine, 
dryer, doesn't matter. I, like, I'm terrible at mechanic stuff. And what makes matters worse is my wife is actually really, really good at it. <laughs> so this week alone, our dishwasher and our washing machine broke, and Steffi, my wife, fixed both of them. Um, little embarrassing to share that with everyone, uh, but it's true. And now I have to preface and, and kind of, you know, soften my weaknesses in that I am really good at, at crafting things out of wood. I am great at renovating cabinets and kitchens, and I can tile bathrooms, and I can, I, I have to, to let you know I'm not just a complete buffoon who doesn't know how to do anything, right? I don't, I can't let you have that much on me and my weaknesses, but this, this weakness around machines comes up a lot with my car. Because as I've shared over and over and over again, my car is terrible and it breaks and falls apart all the time, which means I have to go to a mechanic and talk to him about the issue that's going on with my car. But I'm so self-conscious about the fact that I know nothing about cars. I've come up with a strategy to help me feel more confident going to talk to the mechanic by saying something along the lines of, uh, well, let's just say I, I go online to Google and I Google what's wrong with my car so that I have an answer when I go in to talk to the mechanic. And so I'll do something like this. I'll be sitting in a car and I'll, I'll feel it start to shake and idle at the, uh, at the stoplight and I'll think, okay, Google, what's wrong with my car? Why is it shaking at a stoplight? Google doesn't know. Like, there's nothing there that Google can tell me about my car. But whatever Google says is usually what I walk into the mechanic and say. So I'll be like, hey, uh, <clears throat> so I was driving my car, and I started to notice that uh, I think there was something wrong. And this is a true story. I actually said this to a mechanic. There's something wrong with uh, my corroborator on my car. <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me. Do you, do you mean a carburetor? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the carburetor, that's what's going wrong. It's not working right. And to make matters worse, to, to add insult to injury and just let you know how bad my weaknesses are, I, I shared this story last night, and someone came up to me afterwards who is a mechanic who works with cars, and he said, hey, just so you know, like just, just trying to help you out as a friend, uh, cars haven't had carburetors since like 1992. <laughs> Oh, no. So that's my weakness. And I feel like I have to hide it. And I feel like just even sharing this with you, I'm probably going to have a ton of people that are going to be like, oh, my gosh, this guy who's teaching Larry, get him off. He's an idiot. Because our weaknesses, if we're honest, they, they make us feel kind of worthless, right? Our weaknesses can cause a lot of embarrassment and shame. And sometimes it can be something as silly as not knowing anything about cars, Sometimes our weaknesses can be a lot more serious. And so you may be here today, and, and the weakness that you're feeling a struggle with is anxiety and this crippling fear that plagues you every day of your life. Or maybe some form of depression, or it may be a relationship that is broken. See, the, the truth is that a lot of times our weaknesses actually are, are fairly serious. And we feel like we have to hide the things wrong with us. Otherwise, people are going to judge us. Otherwise, people might not accept us for who we are. And so we live in this culture where it's not okay to not be okay. And we have to hide the things that other people might consider weak about us. And what's crazy to me what makes no sense at all is this, this passage and really this book that we've been looking at for the last several weeks, what Paul says is that there is something about embracing our weaknesses, not hiding them, that allows us to experience God more fully. 
that when we embrace our weaknesses, we actually get a fuller picture of who God is and what he does in our lives. But it's so countercultural to everything we see in the world. It's, it's counterintuitive to how we live our lives. How, embracing weakness, the things that I don't want anyone to know about me, those are the things that Paul says when we embrace them, our weaknesses, we actually experience a fuller picture of God and his grace. It's a bizarre statement that we're looking at today. And so before we jump in, I'd, I'd like to pray for us um, and then just ask the, the Holy Spirit to, to be with us. Heavenly Father, uh, God, I pray that today uh, wouldn't be about anything I have to say. It wouldn't be about content. It wouldn't be about um, my thoughts. But, but God, that the, the reflections of my heart and, and my meditations would, would simply be um, your words and your truth and your uh, your gospel for us today. And God, I pray that you would speak um, to each and every one of us and that, that through the opening of your word together as a community, that we would encounter you and experience you and that, God, ultimately you would shape us more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. All right, so we've been walking through this book, 2 Corinthians, and as it comes to a close, uh, the last several weeks, we're going to be looking at Paul as he's defending his apostleship, his authority as a minister of the gospel. And last week, Larry kind of began that part of the letter by talking about Paul's cover letter, and, and it's a really terrible cover letter. I mean, if you can just imagine for a moment, you receive a cover letter that you're asking to, you know, we're looking for someone to hire and, and what are their credentials and why would we hire them? And they start by saying this, well, when I speak in public, people tell me that I'm not, not really eloquent. And then when I write letters to people, they kind of say that I'm really hard to understand and it doesn't make sense. And beyond that, oftentimes when I communicate to people and when I, when I share my thoughts, people get really upset and it causes a lot of friction. And in fact, I've been run out of town a few times. I just don't get along with people very well. And, you know, beyond that, like, uh, danger just seems to follow me wherever I go. So I get shipwrecked, like, a lot. And people beat me when they get upset. And, uh, like, the last place I was at, they actually, uh, they, we got stoned together, but not in the fun way, right? They threw rocks at my head. And, like, could you imagine receiving this cover letter and just thinking, like, oh, what? No way is that the person we want for our job. Trouble falls on them wherever they go. They're not really good at anything. And that's the cover letter that Paul is giving to the Corinthians right now defending his apostleship and his ministry in Jesus. You got to ask yourself, why, why list all of the terrible things about you? Why give all of your weaknesses away when they're accusing you of being too weak? And I think it's because Paul is trying to reframe the Corinthian church's relationship with power. You see, because they're, they're a lot like us and that they believe that if you live for Jesus and follow Jesus, then you'll actually look really powerful and successful and maybe wealth will accompany you. And we have this mindset in our own culture that, that we have to be successful. We're a culture obsessed with power. We celebrate power. We worship power and strength and efficiency. I mean, just to, to kind of play the devil's advocate here, when was the last time you were watching a football game and the kicker got up to make a game-winning field goal, 
But instead of, of making the field goal to win the game, they miss it, and the entire team and stadium goes crazy, lifts them up on their shoulders, and carries them out as a victor, celebrating their weakness of not being able to, to, to make a field goal, right? Like, that does not happen. And it, but it goes beyond that. When was the last time you sat around with the people you work with and thought, you know what our company needs? We just need really weak leadership up top. Like, we just, I think that would be really the thing that would set us over uh, our competitors. If we just had weak leadership. When was the last time you saw someone go on a book tour with the seven keys to failure and weakness, right? Like, that is not what we lift up as the ideal in our culture. We are a culture obsessed with power, obtaining power, and presenting our power and our strength. I mean, it's a, there's a reason why, I don't know if you know this, we as a country have spent $650 million on the presidential election already. It's a year away. $650 million trying to make sure our party obtains power, that our party is the one in the, the seat with all of the strength and the authority to make changes happen. We are a culture that is obsessed with power. And Paul comes to the Corinthian church that shares a similar relationship to power, and he says, no, it's not about power, it's about weakness. And it's actually my weaknesses that allow me to experience God more fully. And the problem is that there's actually a consequence when we have this relationship to power, there's a consequence that comes when, when we become so obsessed with power. And the consequence is that we actually create a culture that shames anyone who struggles or has weakness. We shame people when they're not okay. It's not okay in our culture to not be okay. It's not all right to struggle. It's not all right to, to have problems and weakness. And we feel like we have to hide them. And have you ever noticed, I, this kind of struck me a, a few weeks ago in my small group, we were talking about the, this kind of relationship and how we walk together. And it struck me that so many times when I hear Christians in their story, what I often hear is, I used to struggle with pornography, or I used to struggle with addiction. I used to struggle with depression. And we only share the stories that we've already conquered. We've only shared stories where we've already been victorious over the thing that we used to struggle with. When was the last time you shared your story and said, you know what I'm really struggling with right now? Right now? You know what I'm weak in, what I need help in? See, we create this culture where we have to hide the things that are wrong with us, the things that we want no one to know about because we're afraid that they will judge us, that they won't accept us. What will they think of us? How will they perceive us? because we worship power and strength. But the biggest consequence, I think, of this kind of mindset and this relationship with power is that we carry that over to God. We allow that view of how we see others and the fear that we have of them judging us, and we, we let that creep into our view of God. I can't allow God to see my weaknesses, the things that I'm struggling with, because if, if he did, there's no way he would accept me either. And yet Paul's answer to that is that there's something in embracing our weakness that allows us to experience a fuller picture of who God is and how his grace is sufficient in our lives. 
And I think there's two ways that I see this happening within this text specifically. And the first is this. I think we can experience God more fully and understand his grace more fully in our lives when we embrace our weakness because God often uses our weaknesses to teach us something. Let me show you what I mean. So in this passage, he starts, and remember, he's trying to prove his credentials to the, to the Corinthians and to show them why he's worthy of being listened to. And he says this, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and to revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, which is really just a way of saying the ultimate heaven, the, the highest point of heaven where you're seeing God face to face. It says, the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. Again, Paul is very upfront that he is confusing sometimes, okay? We should take him at his word. Was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. And you could imagine as the Corinthians are reading this letter, they're thinking, oh yeah, this is the stuff we want to see from Paul. These visions, these revelations, the power, how God is working in his life, the amazing things he's seen and heard, because that's what we want from our leaders. And he pulls the rug out from underneath them and he says, I will not boast about, or I will boast about a man like that, but I'll not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even though I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, it's so interesting to me that you could read a hundred commentaries about this passage. I didn't read a hundred commentaries about this passage. I read a lot, but not a hundred. But you could read a hundred commentaries about this passage, and none of them will say what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. The best we can do is, is venture some sort of guess to what he might have been going through. But it's very vague, and it's very unknown. It's a mystery what he was going through that he calls this thorn in the flesh. But there are two things that he says about it that we do know. The first is that it was designed to torment him that it was designed to cause pain and discouragement in his life. And you could maybe think of it as, I don't know if you've ever been hiking and you've gotten a rock stuck in your shoes, or if you're like me and you hike with Chacos, rocks get stuck all the time. And as you're hiking, you have to like kind of kick the rock out and make sure it's loose, and then it falls back into the spot where it's digging into your heel a little more, and you have to then take your shoe off and get out, and then another rock falls in. And it's kind of that idea of just this gnawing constant pain that he's having to deal with. That, that comes and goes, but that it's just pr this present reality in his life that he's constantly dealing with. The second thing we know about it, aside from it being incredibly painful for him, is that it, it came with a message from Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but this kind of messes with my theology a little bit, but I, I think what, what I do see is that sometimes we go through hard things. And I would actually venture a guess that, that most of us, when we talk about a thorn in the flesh, something difficult that we're going through, that all of us have something that, that can come to mind. We all experience suffering. But sometimes the challenge in suffering is not the thorn itself, but the message that comes with it. 
And so let's say, for instance, that, that the thorn you are carrying in your life is, is, is loneliness. You just feel incredibly lonely. But the message that comes with that thorn is that you are unworthy of love, that you are unseen, that no one cares about you. Or, or maybe the thorn you carry is an addiction, and it's something that, that as Billy was talking about earlier, you, you keep going back to and back to, and you can't seem to shake it. But the message you receive with it is that you're a failure and that you will never be free. Or maybe the, the thorn that you carry is, is, is some form of, of chronic illness, some, some physical pain, some ailment. And the message you have with that thorn is that God has abandoned you. He doesn't care about what you're going through. You see, sometimes the, the suffering we endure, it, while difficult and challenging, sometimes the message and the lies that we hear with that suffering are even more powerful and discouraging us. And, and they can become so powerful, they can fill our hearts and our souls and our minds to, to the point where the thorn, the, the weakness, actually becomes the thing that we define ourselves by. And so I am worthless and unlovable, or I am a failure, or God doesn't care about me. And we define ourselves by these thorns, these weaknesses. And that's the only way we can see ourselves. And yet what Paul says is that this thorn that he received was actually intended to shape and to mold him more into the likeness of Jesus. That there was actually a message from God in the suffering. He says that it was to keep him from being conceited from being prideful, from being arrogant, and that this thorn, this pain, was a constant reminder of his need to be dependent on God. You see, sometimes when we go through, through moments of pain and suffering, and when we have thorns in our lives, in the hands of a good and loving and gracious God, those thorns can become chisels to shape and to mold us into Christ's image. Now, the challenge with that, as we look at that, is, is that, wait, are you saying that the bad things that happen in my life are actually good things or that God wants me to suffer? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that God is good and powerful over the evil that happens in our lives, that he can use it for his intent and purpose. And I think we really struggle with that because I think we've kind of missed the point of following Jesus, I think sometimes we think the point of following Jesus is that all of our dreams and all of our hopes will come true. When the point of following Jesus is to become more like him. And really, I, I blame Jeremiah 29, 11 for that. Anybody familiar with that verse? The verse that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a beautiful verse. Don't get me wrong. And we put it on all sorts of coffee mugs and social media posts. But the problem is we look at that verse and we think God wants all my dreams to come true. He has a bright and beautiful future for me that if I just trust in Jesus, then he will give it to me and I can take life and have all of the things that I want. And what we miss with this verse and others like it is that this verse, do you know what the heading for the chapter that that verse is found in in Jeremiah? Jeremiah 29, a letter to the exiles to people who have lost everything, who are living under constant oppression, 
to people who have had their homes and their families taken away from them. God comes to them and says, I have a plan to prosper you. See, we want the, the prosperity and the future and the dreams that are beautiful and bold, and we miss that sometimes that message from God comes in the exile, in the places where God is trying to wake us up with the thorns in the flesh, the pain and the suffering, that God uses those things to bring us back to himself. And, and, and it's a hard teaching because I think we do want to know and believe that God has good things for us. And, and I, I want to pull the car over for a second. Did, did any of you ever have parents that are just like, oh, okay, we're pulling the car over because we've got to have a conversation? And now sometimes that happens because my dad or mom was like, hey, you are got to put you straight. And so there's going to be a little bit of that. But sometimes there's a moment where your parents pull the car over and they say, hey, you just said something about yourself that, that's not true. And I need to correct that. And I want this to be a little bit of that too. Because what we do when we come to this passage, what we do is we say, okay, Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He prayed for God not to, to, to take it away from him, to heal him. And it looks like God says no. So we take that to be descriptive of every suffering and every hard thing that we go through. God doesn't heal anymore. That is not true and that's not scriptural. This is one instance in Paul's life where he is saying, this is what happened to me. He is not describing everything that happens to every Christian. So we just have to understand that. The second thing that I think we sometimes do with this is we look at this passage and we think, ah, yeah, people go through hard times and there is a message from God in that suffering and it is my job to tell them what their thorn is, right? And so someone is diagnosed with cancer and we feel the freedom to tell them what their cancer is and what God's message is with the cancer. Stop it. When we have those messages for people, when we try to interpret their thorns for them, oftentimes, I believe, we are more the voice of the message from Satan than the voice of God. We end up discouraging people and telling them that, yeah, your pain's not a big deal. It's a minimal thing. Like, God's got this. And, and we discourage people from actually knowing and experiencing who God is and what he is doing in the midst of their suffering. We have to stop feeling the freedom to interpret other people's circumstances for them unless they ask us. Like, that's the only way I think that's okay. And aside from, from all of that, I think the other thing that we sometimes do with this passage is, is you say, okay, Paul, great that you think God has a message for me and my suffering. You don't know what my suffering is. I'm going through a hard time. This is terrible. And I am confident God does not have anything for me in this, that, that, that he is not working to bring about some purpose in my pain. And I cannot guarantee you that that is what he is trying to do. But what I can say is that Paul is talking about this this thorn in his flesh, after 14 years of reflection on it. He has this amazing vision. He's given this, this thorn. And then 14 years later, he says it's because it was to, intended to keep him from being conceited. I'll, I'll be honest. There have been moments in my life, hard things that I've got through, that, that even 12, 14 years later, I'm still not sure that I have the message that God was, was intending to say, if there even was one. The hard thing about pain and suffering is that there are no universal truths other than we all go through it 
and that God is with us in it. Which I think is the second thing that Paul is saying in this passage, that that when we embrace our weakness and the things that, that we wish we didn't have to deal with in our life and we encounter God's grace in that, it's because God is with us in the thorns. See, we want amazing experiences of God and and, and visions of him in heaven and in paradise and and our future and our hope, and and yet it's often in the thorns of life that God encounters us most deeply. It's so fascinating to me that, that when you read this passage, it is one of the only places in the New Testament where Paul prays specifically to Jesus. Most of the places Paul teaches people to pray, he teaches them to pray to the Heavenly Father. But this passage says he pleaded with the Lord, with Jesus, three times to take the thorn away from him. I don't think that that's coincidental. I don't think that this moment of of praying to Jesus was just some random choice of, do I pray to God or the Father or, or, or God the Son? I think he is praying to Jesus in his suffering with this thorn in his flesh because Jesus is the one who knows what it is like to have thorns in his flesh. Jesus is the one who can empathize and knows what it is to suffer. He is the one who came and bore a cross and a crown of thorns. He knows what it is to suffer and can empathize with us in our suffering. And it's so fascinating to me when I think about this. Because often in my own life, so this is something I've done, so I'm not casting stones, is when I experience suffering, I pray to God and I want him to just come down and fix it and take the problem and the issue away. Like, God, why won't you fix this? Why do I still have to deal with this, this weakness, this suffering? And yet, I don't do that anywhere else in my life. I don't know about you, but if I'm uh, coming home from work and I go to my wife, Steffi, and I start complaining about things that, that happened at work that day. Now, I'm a pastor, so I never do that, right? Pastors don't complain about work. But let's just pretend that I did. And I go to Steffi, and I say, hey, this thing happened at work. It's really frustrating. It's angering me, and I, and I just let her know all of it. And then she begins by saying, hey, you know what you need to do? Is, I think this would help fix your, your problem. I think this is the solution to what you're dealing with. I'd be so frustrated. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to empathize, right? We all do that. We're we're simply looking not for people to fix our problems, but to empathize with them and to say the two magic words, that sucks, right? That's what we want from people. And yet, that's what God has promised us in Jesus, that he is with us in our suffering and empathizes with our suffering, and yet for him, we hold him to a different standard and say, you just need to fix it and take it out of my life. And yet, the gospel is that when we go through pain, while sometimes God teaches us and molds us and shapes us, he is always, always present with us. And that when we suffer thorns in our flesh and weakness, we are not abandoned or alone. That God is with us because he knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to plead with God and ask him to take away the suffering. That's the picture we have of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times he prayed to God, remove this cup from me. Don't make me go through this. 
He knows what it's like to cry out to the Father in the darkness and, and in the suffering and ask him to show up. And he knows what it's like for God to say no. He knows what it's like when, when God doesn't show up and just fix it and make it better. But he cried out and asked for God and, and, and I think invites us to do the same. You know, often when we come to this passage and, and we look at it and we say, yeah, Paul pleaded with God that, that God would take it away. He asked Jesus to remove this thorn and, and, and the answer was no. That's not true. I mean, in a way, yeah, we can make that argument. Like, the thorn wasn't removed. But, but God's answer was not just a simple no. His answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, when we cry out to God, it, it, it's not just ever a simple yes or no. It's a conversation that God is working through with us. And I think what you see here is that as, as Paul is wrestling with this and asking for this thing to be removed and, and God to show up and say, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He gets a fuller picture of who God is and how he works in the world and how he works in our lives. Because really power coming in weakness is, is the whole story of history. I mean, if we center history as followers of Jesus on Jesus, then the, the whole point of the story is that power comes in weakness. God, all-powerful, becoming man, weakness. Jesus, powerful, having the power to raise people from the dead, laying down his life in weakness to be killed on our behalf. That in the resurrection, in Jesus, conquering death, through the weakness of dying, we have the power of new life. And the whole story of the gospel and of redemption is a God who works through pain to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And one of my favorite authors, he puts it this way. In the cross, the cross shows us that God can take the worst possible evil and through it accomplish the greatest possible good the destruction of evil itself. Nothing can happen in human history over which God is not ultimately sovereign and which he cannot, through his infinite power and wisdom, weave into the outworking of his universal purpose of redeeming love for the whole of creation. See, the beautiful thing about the, the Bible is it gives us permission to call evil, evil. It never asks us to, to say that something evil that happened to us was actually a good thing. What it does give us permission to do is call evil evil and then say, and yet God, and yet God who is sovereign and powerful and good can work through the evil to bring about something more beautiful. And so I don't know where you are today or, or what your thorn in the flesh may be, what weakness you're facing. But we're gonna to go to a, a time of extended worship today, a time of prayer and of praise. And we're gonna have stations around the room, places that you can come for prayer and, and come before God with your weakness. And we're gonna have stations of anointing where you can receive that prayer. Now, it's important to say, if you're new to Waterstone, we do this fairly often. Um, and if you've never been a part of a service where you do anointing, there's a couple important things for you to know. One, 
We're not saying that there's anything magical in the oil, okay? This isn't essential oils we're using. It's just plain olive oil, right? And we use this not as a magic formula to receive God's miracles or healing, but simply to ask him to intervene, to come before him in our weakness and ask him to show up. And sometimes that looks like fixing it. Sometimes that looks like continuing to to be taught something through it. But it always, always looks like God being with us in it. And so it's a chance for us today. It doesn't matter if, if you're dealing with depression or anxiety or a broken relationship, some form of addiction. I would encourage you to embrace your weakness. Come have someone pray for you. And so doing, experience God and his grace that is sufficient for you. Whatever weakness you may be ashamed of. My grace is sufficient for you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I ask that as we go to this time of prayer, um, we come humbly, uh, knowing that that sometimes um, your answer in our lives is is yes, and sometimes uh, it's no. We also know, God, that that you uh, meet us in the places where we suffer and in our hardship. Um, So, God, that's simply my prayer today. There's a lot of hurt in this room. We are fully aware of our weakness. So, God, I ask that uh, as we pray together, as we worship you and your power, God, I just, I pray that uh, we would learn to embrace our weakness, that we would learn that it's okay to not be okay, to not have it all together, but that when we come to you with our weakness, you are powerful and you are good and you can work through those weaknesses and situations for your glory and for your redemption. So Father, I pray simply that we would experience the fullness of what it means that, that your grace is sufficient for us. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.